you're really a special you're like a special guest you're the first guest ever on the history of the podcast that has two capital letters in their last name <laughs> that's as high i mean that's that's like royalty kind of well you know i think there are many other people who fall into that category <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily represent anything that i'm able to do <laughs> i was born with that <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. How are you? Man, the year is screaming to a halt, at least for us. Uh, it's crazy. Time moves quicker than it should. But I, when I say that, I feel like that's the old man talk. It's like, you kids, now the ball is mine, that kind of talk. So today's pod is interesting. I should jump right in it because it's a, it's a good one. I actually moved it up to get it into a place where um, it's not in the holiday doldrums. Because podcasts kind of go down the next couple weeks. You know, there's not much going on. Like, I'm going to do some recap shows. You know what that means, recap shows. That's uh, the, the, Well, I'm going to recap. But for today, we're going to have a conversation um, with, a, with a, a, a kind gentleman, Dr. Chris Lemaster. And uh, I, I discovered Chris, uh, well, to be really honest, I saw a presentation he gave that was recorded on Zoom around patient safety, resilience, and reliability. And it was killer. It was really good. I mean, really, really, really good. And so I said, you know, this would be be great. I'd love to put it on the podcast. But we couldn't really, um, as you guys know, negotiate the risky waters of putting the presentation on the podcast. So what Chris volunteered to do, which was mighty cool of him, was just become a podcast guest, which I actually think is better. So it worked out really well. I adored this conversation. I think you will too. It's 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 groovy. It's it's extra groovy. It's it's a it's a fun conversation because it's a chance to really talk about the things we're talking about in the midst of dramatic uncertainty. Because Chris is an ER doc, and so he's in the emergency department. He he really has understood the last twenty four months or so at a at a at a level with a fine point. But that's not really what he's going to spend talking about, uh, although that would have been an interesting conversation as well. He's going to really talk to us about what he learned from this and what they're gleaning and how this idea of bouncing forward out of this into improvement is a big part of the discussion they're having. That, my friends, is a worthwhile endeavor at every level. Who, who doesn't want to listen to that? And that's kind of where this podcast takes off. I think you'll enjoy it immensely. And that's a pretty bold statement, but I'm kind of a bold dude, so I'm not scared to go with bold statements. Uh, I do it all the time. You probably know because th- I bet this isn't the first podcast you you tuned into. But if it is, you're welcome. It's a great thing. We're about to really go to some interesting podcast levels here, and that's cool too. So keep listening. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Smash that like button. All the stuff they say on all the social medias of which I have none. So just, well, no, I do. That's a lie because I have a podcast. But tell your friends because this one is one you're going to want to share, especially um, especially because there's so much to learn across discipline. That's a really good way to look at that. So without any further ado, will you please welcome to the pod for his first visit ever, a man with two capital letters in his last name, Chris Lee Master. And uh, we'll see what Chris has to say. This, my friends, is the pod. Take it as it goes, man. Take it as it goes. 
So how yeah. are you? How's everything going? Uh, things are good. Things are good. Um, you know, we're sort of figuring out, you know, with this new variant, what what's going to change and how that's going to impact our hospital volume and you know, all the operational things that, you know, may need to change as a result of that. But, you know, it's staying very interesting at the hospital level and um, in the emergency department. Um, this is certainly a... Uh, an incredibly, you know, challenging but interesting time to be practicing medicine, and not anything that you know any of us had anticipated when we chose this career. What what lessons are you learning from it? I mean, it, it seems like this is a really teachable moment for all of us. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, a big part of this, in, in many ways, it, it sort of highlights. The, um, the the ways in which we are capable of uh, of being resilient that the rapid operational changes and r rapid learning you know the, the cycling through how to um, optimize those operations those workflows for you know testing for vaccination um, in a high with a high degree of uncertainty around the, the, the illness itself um, and the amount of sophistication that has developed over time, you know, and I think this is true at, 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 you know, most or probably all medical centers. But to me, that I think really proves the point that we, re, you know, that we're capable of, of being resilient in, in big ways and that um, we, we already know how to do this. Were you were you resilient to start with? I mean, did you have much resilience before the pandemic, do you think? I think yes and no. You know, there's nothing like a uh, an unanticipated, incredible challenge to um, you know re really force you to reconsider how you're doing things. And I, I I suspect that that's you know what many people are facing is that this is you know totally unprecedented, and our normal tools and procedures and perspective and evidence doesn't provide a lot of guidance for, for how to proceed. And, and, and healthcare is a place where we, you know, we like to act out of a, you know, a place of having an evidence base and some control and clarity, and there's not a lot of that. And so I, I think that's very unsettling. And how? What's amazing to me is how that same story exists across the industry everywhere. The consequence for you guys, I think, is higher because it's healthcare. But you're, you're hearing all sorts of organizations talk about it, and that's a really that's an interesting part of this whole uncertainty is that it's it's really forced us to move our systems so they so that they really value that notion of resilience in a different way, which is kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, this it's hard to imagine a place where this hasn't changed yeah. operations. Yeah, it's it, it, perhaps is the most global uh, change in our in our society that I can think of, certainly in my lifetime. Has it changed? Do you see any impacts to, to patient safety? Do you see impacts to the your your other passion, the, the passion you've spent a lot of time thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, uh, one, it, um, it 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 forces you to realize that you you know you have to come up with workflows um, and, and refine those workflows as you go. Um, you know we we I'm spent some time doing lean processes and um, and in the you know the lean methodology you're really refining your work over time by constantly learning, which is you know not unlike what you talk about in, in your hop principles and. Uh, 
amount of learning that's been happening um, and the uh, the amount of teamwork that that's uh, required and uh, to, a, to a degree that I have not seen previously. It's what, really, it's actually quite inspiring. What's that look like? I mean, how, how's the learning changed? Uh, you know, it, something is, is um, like, where do you put these patients when they arrive in the yeah. emergency department? So, you know, a lot of, a lot of places built up tents. And um, and really try to cohort these patients separate, you know, in separate parts of the emergency department, separate parts of the hospital, um, and uh, you know, the use of PPE, um, making sure that we have adequate supply. You know, to what degree can PPE be reused? Um, what standards, you know, should be used, um, and, and under what conditions? Which type, you know, depending on the patient you have um, and your level of suspicion, you may not, you know, may not use the same. Uh, approach and so that w required a lot of work with infection prevention, with um, the C you know, and then just staying up to date with the CDC and um, you know the, the, the latest guidelines. But there was a you know a big lag period where we didn't have that data, and so uh, you know we were all trying to figure it out as we went. That, and that's kind of remarkable. That that emergent nature of this is really remarkable as well. I mean, you're right. I think, I, I hopefully we can come out of this. Being better at learning quicker, uh, being being more effective learners. That's one positive kind of upside to all this crap. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like uh, it, it helps remind us that uh, when you know, when we have the, the the right incentives, when we're sufficiently motivated, that we can make dramatic change over a very short period of time. Um, and, and you know, it's a a, a great get, way to get people behind. Um, you I mean this is certainly a condition where we, we we have everybody aligned with the same goal in mind, and that's that's a great place to be when you're trying to make uh, change rapidly and and learn. Yeah, everybody pulling in the same direction makes a giant difference, no question about it. So uh, we jumped right into this conversation, which is cool. I mean, that's that's what I like. Introduce yourself. T tell us all about you, because you have kind of a cool uh, um, your journey to this point is cool. Yeah, I, I guess I'm a little a little unusual that way. Um, yeah, I'm an emergency physician, which I've been doing for the last 15 years, and uh, and became interested in patient safety very early on, um, and and was intrigued by James Reason's book, and and kind of went from there. Did some research, did a research fellowship focused on safety, and Robert Weirs was an early mentor of mine, um, big big safety guy, um, who's unfortunately no longer with us. Um, but uh, I did a master's in epidemiology. And then after that, have been working mostly in the you know, clinical space as a practicing emergency physician um, focused on quality improvement operations and, um, you know, really kind of where the work is being done. So, if, you know, I'm, there's sort of the, the clinical experience of working in the emergency room and knowing what work is done looks like, right. which I think is, is fantastic. But, but at the same time, I also, you know, hold I mean, the patient safety lead for the physician group at my hospital and work on the risk management patient safety committee. So we do, they're not called root cause analyses, but we do, you know, the equivalent of that. And, um, and I lead our emergency department patient safety committee. So it, there are a lot of opportunities to, to start sprinkling these ideas of the new view of safety um, and uh, good design into many of those uh, locations. And then I think, you know, honestly, the, the probably the most impactful thing that I've been able to do 
starting over the last few years, is, uh, is be a peer supporter for our physicians. And, well, not just our physicians, actually nurses and, and other clinicians too. And this is across departments, so it's not just with the emergency department. And I find that uh, you know, providing psychological support and, and really listening to them with the goal of, of listening, you know, not, not trying to understand causation, um, uh, you know, certainly not looking for blame, but, but trying to emotionally support them has been, <clears throat> one, just, I think, very, very gratifying, especially in the, the era of COVID. But also, it, um, you know, I hadn't expected this, but it, it seems like it's sort of the crossroads where many of these concepts of um, the new view of safety come together. So, you know, you talk about the, the, the five hot principles um, and, it, you know, which are, uh, Error is normal, blame fixes nothing, learning is vital, contextualized behavior, how we respond to failure matters. I find that, you know, I've really struggled to, uh, to make these principles compelling to, to, uh, to others on a the the, uh, theoretical level. And, and then I just sort of stumbled upon this, this interesting thing where, you know, these physicians and nurses seem to really get it. It seems to like truly resonate with them when we're talking about their case, there's there's something you know about the emotion, the immediacy of their own experience, which I think cuts through that theory. Um, and it, rather than just understanding the concepts, I think they embody them in their you know in their own lived experience. Um, and so I feel very fortunate to, to be in the sort of middle ground where I'm working within the hospital, but also with the department, and then individuals where I, I find that you know they really understand those principles in a in a personal way that um, I, I'm hoping can help drive that change in mindset over time and, and lead to some, you know, larger scale change. That observation is really powerful because I, I think you're right. On a theoretical level, they just seem theoretical. I mean, that, that's, you know, they're just these ideas, these concepts that we've looked at across the industry, blah, 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 boring, boring, boring. But when you actually start to look at cases and individuals are involved, um, engaged even in, in things that happen, they're pretty helpful in sort of setting the parameters by which the discussion happens. Are you seeing progress made in medicine? I mean, do you feel like it's moving in a direction um, towards being better? I think that, I mean, yes. So I think that, um, that you know, we're able to engage in these types of conversations now. I think, we, you know, part of the challenge is that we're, <clears throat> we're facing a long tradition of framing um, success and failure in terms of, you know, individual responsibility. And, and often that, that sort of is... Uh, you know, it's framed as the physician is the hero or the villain. Um, I mean, not really the villain, but, you know, you get my point, I think. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, and I think, you know, it's one thing to talk about how that, you know, that we want to encourage a, a culture of safety in the abstract. Um, but to move away from th this old framing, I think you have to replace it with something that intuitively makes sense to people. And so... You, you know, you can get caught up in talking about systems, but I find that when we are discussing specific cases, that this seems to highlight these points much more clearly. Right. Well, don't you think it's because the system is so the the, the I don't even know how, how to say this. The bureaucracy is so strong that it seems insurmountable by any one person. I mean, you guys are in. It's a, it's a remarkable bureaucratic environment in which you operate on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that uh, there are many incentives that um, and, um, you know, structural 
barriers that make it hard to, to move in this direction. But I, I do really think that fundamentally, and, and this is, this, this is going to take a long time, but fundamentally, it is in these conversations one-on-one -on -one with individuals uh, and, and changing mindset that I think opens them up to the idea that we can do things differently. And I, I actually think that um, the, the automobile industry did this really well. And this, you know, I, I, um, I gave a, a grand round on this topic a few months ago, and, and I used that as the analogy um, to kind of drive home this point that, you know, back in the, you know, before 1946, the automobile industry, you know, there were people dying in car crashes at really alarming rates. And the industry felt that it was human error that caused these accidents. It was, you know, unsafe drivers. And then following 1946, there was this precipitous drop in the number of traffic deaths, you know, even though there was an exponential rise in the number of people on the road. And of course, you could say that, yeah, that was all because of vehicle design changes and, you know, changes in regulation, et cetera. But, you know, I think the, the point that I was trying to make is that those features could not exist until you first had a change in mindset, that you had this idea that, that human error, unsafe drivers, isn't a very helpful way of preventing accidents. And then if you, you instead reframe it as something that's inevitable, uh, then you might find ways to mitigate it. And so, you know, the airbag, for example, um, you're not going to sit down to design an airbag unless you first accept this idea, this, this shift in mindset. And so I think, I mean, I think you're right that we have, we do have all of these large scale incentives that make it challenging and this historical way of framing this. But I think as we come to understand, um, you know, how this happens and how we might change it, that that sort of shift in mindset, you know, what we need to do is create a critical mass, right? You have, you have a, a small number of people who get it. And then you just keep spreading the word, and eventually, I think you can bring in everybody in. But uh, yeah, that that's a slow process. Which for is sure. which is probably how most change happens. But you're, I'm, I mean, Chris, I'm so impressed because you're onto it. The near as I can tell from my observation, there are sort of three levers we pull. The first one is that redefinition of the problem, which is exactly what you're talking about, which is vital. I mean, it's absolutely vital. The second one then is we have to change the way we learn, change the way we investigate which I think is a real challenge for you guys as well. And then the third one, which I, I think is, is very significant, is that we have to sort of build systemic sustainability into that process and, and create a path forward that kind of moves us in that direction. Those three levers are, are they're vital. They're key to everything we do. And this first conversation, it sounds like it's going to be easy. Like when we sit around and talk about it, it's like, well, duh, of, of course failure is going to happen. It's normal. It's a part of it. Errors, you know, never causal and always present. But that initial hurdle is the hardest hurdle to get through. And and I think that's the one to watch. The next one's going to be the investigation protocols. The, that's going to be a really significant. When you get to that conversation, and it sounds like you, you guys are kind of there, um, that's, you're starting to see some sustainable change. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and um, it, you know, it reminds me a little, a little bit of the that analogy that uh, you have somebody who's looking for their keys in the in the dark right. alleyway, right? And they're looking under the lamppost, even though they didn't drop them there because that's where the light is. You know, we we use the tools that we have to to frame these conversations, and so I, I think there, there's definitely an educational component, and and you know, I think cases and showing how these reframing these cases. Uh, can be quite powerful is a is a powerful way to start you know changing the hearts and minds 
uh, folks who are involved in this work. And you're right on it. They're they're prepotent. You have to ch- you have to reframe in order to learn better. You can't learn better. You can't just go out to learn better, which is what we try to do for a long time in medicine. Is let's just be, get better at learning, not realizing that we have to change that sort of first principle, that fundamental understanding of um, I guess failure or success or whatever you want to call it. That really is vital to what we want to do. And and that makes a difference. Has it been f- fun and interesting? I, th- I think I know the answer to that question, but <laughs> absolutely. I, I mean, y- you can't make up the kinds of things that happen. It is it, it's, it's always interesting, um, and of course, things fail in ways that you could never anticipate uh, much of the time. Um, and you know, you're just in the in the midst of a incredibly complex system. And, and, you know, these cases certainly prove that that's the case. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's also a real opportunity, you know, that we're able to think about how to solve, you know, novel issues in in new ways. And and often that's from listening to the people involved, Um, you know, who will tell us things that we had, we just had no idea where, you know, from a distance in a room reviewing the case, you, you think you understand, and then you go to the, the location and you realize that you didn't understand much at all. <laughs> yes. Has, has COVID made it easier to have these conversations in a way? Um, I think that, I think the answer to that is probably yes and no. In some ways, yes, that we, um, I think we're used to things changing at a much more rapid pace and um, re- relying on a team of people to to get the job done. And so I think that that's increasing the number of conversations we have and, you know, the sensitivity to perspective of others um, to, you know, to say, uh, like when the, you know, pediatric patients could get vaccinated, you know, that was really, really rapid. And to get that entire team to, to roll that out quickly, uh, you know, you, you, that's not a one-person job, and, and, you know, you couldn't go through committees. Like, that just needed to happen quickly. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that people are learning that uh, they can accomplish quite a lot um, when they need to. Um, you know, I, I think the other piece to this, though, is that, yeah, people people are just burnt out. Um, and, and I don't think that's just where I work. But, uh, you know, we talk about capacity and, um, you know, particularly at the margins. And... Uh, while COVID has taught us that we can be resilient, that our, you know, our, our people are the ones who are really figuring out how to do this and giving us great suggestions um, based on shifts that they're doing and, you know, you know, tips on how things should change. But also, you know, as these, these new waves seem to keep coming, I think that, you know, emotionally, psychologically, that, you know, I, you know it's hard to know how much harder we can, you know, push ourselves. And so I think that's part of what this, um, peer support program has been helpful with is, is trying to find ways to be more psychologically and emotionally supportive. Yeah. The, that, um, to each other. that ability for you to listen or, or for you to create systems where people feel heard is, is incredibly powerful because I think the big lesson that we're all learning, uh, some are learning it more abruptly than others is that resilience doesn't live in the system. Resilient lives in the, in the people that do the work. And, um, and it shifts the way you look at workers. I mean, workers, doctors aren't the problem. They're the solution. Nurses aren't the problem. They're the solution. I mean, you can, you can, welders aren't the problem. They're the solution. Grocery store clerks aren't the problem. They're the solution. And I think that's surprised management and leadership. It's certainly surprised the C-suite 
globally. And that's, that's been, that's been a really interesting phenomena that's come out of this. Now, I don't know what it'll hold in a year or two, but for now it's really interesting and important. What would you share with your peers? If you, if you could give advice, cause a lot of people will listen to this because you know, you've got two capital letters in your last name. <laughs> so what, what advice would you give ahead? What would you tell your peers? What would you tell other emergency department doctors around the globe? I mean, I think first I, I would say that, you know, I can speak from my own experience and, and, and while that may be helpful, I want to make sure that, uh, <laughs> that, that people understand that, that, you know, there are many other perspectives and, and, um, uh, you know, other, other experiences. And so I, I don't want to, you know, suggest that I have the answers cause I, cause I don't, and I've it's certainly been a, a challenging pathway for me to figure out how to move forward. But I, I find more than anything that truly listening and empathizing to the people involved who are doing the work um, and, and letting them st- tell their story from start to finish. One, it provides the kind of psychological safety that motivates them to speak up in the future. You know, we know that, that a lack of psychological safety uh, it has been associated with increased hospital mortality. Uh, Martha Costa, who you had on the on the podcast, was uh, you know somebody who's talked about this, and um, you know, and it's not what we typically think of. It's it's you know not kumbaya, thumbs up, everything's great. It's you know it is a candid, even heated you know, debate in safe places where people feel like they can take emotional risk. So I, I think you know having those one-on-one conversations is a place where we can really you know in a compelling way show people that there is psychological safety because we're listening to them. Um, and I find that that's also the place where the systems issues just come out and, you know, it, it, you know, it, you, you think you might know what the systems issues are and you come to those conversations, you know, with a checklist of things. And some of those may be true, but uh, I've been really surprised by things that I had not anticipated that come out of those conversations um, that, you know, that, you know, potentially have you know, dramatic impact. And so, you know, coming to those conversations humbly and, and really creating a space to, to listen and and thinking about safety separate from risk management, because you know both are important, but risk management um, you know serves different needs. And so, having a space to really think about safety and resilience, and think of thinking about them as a uh, as design rather than you know, the, especially in medicine, I think the they systems quickly become an abstract dark force that operates upon us from above. Um, and I think it's helpful to remember that these are systems that are designed by human beings and uh, and the better we understand them and, and how they're designed and how maybe they should be redesigned, the better. See what I told you? I told you. I told you it was a great podcast, and it was. I mean, I, I just, I can't tell you how interesting it is, but maybe a better word is exciting it is to hear other industries, other disciplines talk about these terms and ideas and concepts in a practical and an applied way, the way we talk about it in our own disciplines. Whatever our disciplines is, whether you're a pilot or a nurse or a doc or a safety dude or a safety dudette or dudess, that would be kind of a, it's a, almost like a uh, the safety matron, which I wouldn't call that any, I wouldn't call anybody a safe, safety matron. Let's just get off that. I, I don't know where I went with that, right? But I like the fact that you can hear that language and these concepts really don't know boundaries. They they work 
really around where people interface with work and how the systems that we build to actually help understand and manage that can be a big part of the recipe for success or failure. And how a hospital, which is incredibly bureaucratic and, and rather interesting in its structure, at least in the United States, has to really process through this information carefully to understand the bureaucracy and the ability to declutter that bureaucracy, to move beyond that bureaucracy, to actually find incentives that make outcomes more possible, uh, outcomes that are positive, that are forward-moving more possible. And I think that's a great thing to get to spy in on, you know, to get a little glimpse of from the outside. And that's what I think the podcast probably does best, that conversation we have with each other where we talk about these ideas and how they apply. And what's cool to me, and I'll bet you're in the same place, is how much there is to learn. So with that, I extra special thanks to Dr. Lemaster, to Chris. Man, I appreciated you taking the time to do that. I know that oftentimes you're busy, I'm busy, we're all busy. But that little chunk of time we had that we can share with everybody else, that's a pretty meaningful use of uh, what we do. So that's the pod. I'm glad you're there. And keep listening. Tell your friends. Let's see if we can get those numbers to punch even higher. I'll be impressed because they're crazy right now. Until then, learn something new every single day. I bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's important. Check in on one another. Uh, I'm trying my best to really do that as much as I possibly can. And last but not least, be safe. (laughs) 